you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 141 of the Speaking Club podcast. I've been thinking about 2020 and how easy it can be to lose sight of the fact that whatever storms batter our ship, we're still master of our vessel. And even if all we have left is one plank of wood, we can still choose to paddle it towards new shores. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey there, thanks for joining me again. And I hope that you are having a fantastic week and that you and your family are safe and well. My guest on the show today is a chap called Mark Visser. And I'm so excited to share this interview with you for many reasons, but two big ones in particular. First of all, it's highly likely that you have big goals and dreams, but achieving those will mean taking action outside of your comfort zone. Now, only 2% of people will intentionally step over that threshold, facing fear and uncertainty and putting themselves at risk in some way, even if it's just their ego that's in danger. And if you're speaking or you want to speak in a way that positions you as a leader, an authority and entertains and engages people, then you'll need to be in that 2%. And if you are struggling with that at the moment, then the Speaking Club and this episode will help you. Secondly, what's happening this year is a potential source of fear and uncertainty. But we can choose how we think about it and how we frame what's happening. And then this will influence how we feel and then how well we're able to respond. And Mark Visser is an Australian big wave surfer, author, keynote speaker and ocean adventurer. And he had a dream so huge and dangerous that many people told him it wasn't possible to achieve. But he continued on his quest anyway. He knew he had to prepare for and accept the unpredictable so that he could achieve the unbelievable. So he trained and learned and practiced until he'd completed the challenge he'd set himself and conquered his biggest fear. And along the way, he created a process to help him reduce fear and perform at his peak in extreme danger. And he's since used it to coach many world champion athletes, professional sporting teams, business and elite military groups around the world. And today he's sharing it with you to help you conquer any fear that stands in your way. But before we switch over to the interview, I want to make sure you know about the Speaking Club Live. One of the big factors in overcoming fear and becoming that engaging speaker is practice. And that's why I'm so thrilled to launch the Speaking Club Live. It's a safe space 
where every week you'll have the opportunity to test your content and message and apply new speaking skills to your delivery in front of me and other Speaking Club Live members. And you'll get coaching and feedback too. As you know, I'm passionate about helping people nail their mission message and find their authentic voice and stories. And the Speaking Club Live, alongside this podcast and my other teaching programs, will play a big part in this. And I've made membership as flexible and affordable as possible. And additionally, there is a founder member price, which won't change no matter how uh, price increases in the future. And that founder member price is available until the end of October 2020. So you need to join before then, before the 1st of November, to take advantage of that. And you can find out more about the membership, what's involved, and some cool bonuses over at saraharcher.co.uk slash club, C-L-U-B. Okay, well, it's time to head over to my interview with the wonderful Mark Visser. Enjoy. So welcome to the Speaking Club, Mark Visser. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. And I know what you're going to share is going to help uh, people who are struggling to speak a load. I'm pretty, pretty confident. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, now you've positioned your book, The Big Wave Method, for people who don't want to look back at their life and say, I could have done something extraordinary. Why didn't I try? So when did you decide to do something extraordinary and what led you there? Well, good question. I think it was, I think I decided in my own little head that I wanted to do these things and I thought I was actually doing them for ages and then I realised that I wasn't actually following through. Right. <laughs> um, so in a sense, like in my mind, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm living this. But then I got to a point of realisation where I was like, I haven't fully followed through to the level that I wanted to. Like the dreams that I'm seeing in my head aren't matching up with the reality that I'm living. And that was the point that was quite frustrating. And then, you know, I think it was about, I'd say the age of 26 um, that I just said, all right, you know, how do I actually make what I'm seeing become real? Like how do I actually get to live that experience? What are the steps I've got to take and how do I actually you know, get to experience those feelings that I can see. And I can I can experience these feelings thinking about it, but how do I get to experience them actually seeing it in real life? And that was the biggest thing for me because I thought, am I just a dreamer? You know, am I someone that's just got these ideas and dreaming them and, and being quite excited by the ideas and almost to the point where I was like, oh, I probably don't even need to do it now. It's so exciting in my head. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but then, but that was when the frustration kicked in. I was like, "Well, I wanna, um, I wanna actually follow through and and be able to experience what that's like, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes for myself to to actually do that." And uh, and that became a formula that I knew once I'd done it once that I could replicate um, over and over. So basically, your imagination was big, but you were stopped from fulfilling on that dream and that potential because of um the only thing to answer your question that was actually stopping me was my own limiting beliefs of what I actually thought was possible um so there was a lot of internal chatter going on a lot of um stories that we make up so personally I would make up stories oh well maybe I can't do that because of this because of that and realistically they're all 
BS stories because there's no merit or truth in what that actually is. If someone else were to look at it from their perspective, that mightn't be true. So, and then when you break it down and, and, and go deep down into what those little stories are that you might be telling yourself, like, oh, I'm too old, I'm not fast enough anymore, or, you know, I don't have the resources or I don't have this, they're just really excuses that help you feel better about not achieving it or not pushing pushing through. Um, whereas I changed my mindset to, well, I don't know what I can or cannot do. I don't know whether it is 100% achievable, but I do know that I can do everything that I can possibly do to give it a crack, and I mean everything. And there was a big difference in that. Like literally I would fail and fail and fail with the training of things that I was working on and it got to the point where I would always ask myself, is there anything else that can be done? Is this it? Have I got to the point where there's nothing else that I could do? And I'd always have a moment where I'd say, I haven't tried it from that angle or I haven't spoken to this person. There's always those one percenters, those little things that, are, that would give me, a, okay, well, I can't totally rule it out yet. And it's interesting if you have that attitude with what you're looking at, um, you're also you're free for starters. You don't have the fear of well, there's an expectation here because you're willing to actually give it a go, regardless of whether you can get it or not. But um, with that that ability to think, well, let's just do all I can do, or let's just be all I can be. That's an, a moment by moment experience. So if you're able to stay in those moments and okay, right now, what else could I do? Was what really helped guide me through those kind of tougher experiences. It's, it's really interesting because you've only mentioned, I think you mentioned fear once there. And, and so I've listened to you on other podcasts and I've read you know, a lot of your stuff. And it seemed like if there was like a villain in your story, fear would have been, you know, because you fell into the, the sort of the, the trough of water when you were two. And fear didn't really, you weren't scared, it seemed, until you were told that you should be scared or should have been scared to stop you doing it. And then you had the incident on the beach where you, you nearly got pulled back. Um, and it's like, but then you became a, a sur- like a surfer. So it's, I, it feels to me like fear, you've mastered fear. That's how it feels. It's like, you know, you talk about limiting beliefs and I, I do think that fear is thoughts and then obviously feelings and then action. So, but you know, do, do you feel that's true of your story, that it is fear, or do you think it's it's yourself? How, how would you...? Well, you're right in saying that. Um, for sure, I don't think anyone ever masters fear, but you become aware of it and how to work and manage what you're doing with it and use it to your advantage and um, understand what's going on to have a deeper understanding of yourself. So I think the whole way along, the only person or the only thing that it really is is a version of yourself. So I often refer to, um, and one like, you know, I've worked with many different um, wonderful individuals over the years in, in the mindful space, you know, or the, we call it the, um, uh, I don't know, there's so many other words for it. Mindfulness is, is just such a buzzword at the moment that I'm kind of sick of using because yeah. everyone just says the same thing. But um, it is in that space of emotional intelligence and, um a lady by the name of Kate Reardon. She's a real, um, really powerful woman in the sense of what she does and understands energy and how that that works. But she she really taught me to listen to where fear was coming from. And when I understood that, it was a, always a version of yourself. So, for example, 
if I had an overwhelming feeling of fear, it would relate back to a time that when I was younger, um, you know, I fell in a sheep's trough and I was, I was, you know, nearly drowned. And then those experiences are just basically moments in time where you were out of control. You weren't in your state of comfort. And it's a reminder. It's like a little bell going off saying, hey, remember that time you're out of control? You felt, you felt this feeling. We'll, we'll be careful that that could happen again. So that's sort of what that happens. And what she taught me really was to understand that there's like an internal microphone that we all hold, you know, and there's the ultimate version of ourself that's in control, that's calm and that can analyse things and, and deal with situations. And then there's the fearful version of myself that will constantly stem back to past experiences or moments in time that cause me fear. But I think it's our job as individuals as we go forward to hand that microphone over to the wiser version of ourself and be conscious of the fact that every moment in time is a new moment in time. The fact that, you know, I had a traumatic experience when I was younger and then, it, you know, and then it was something that I was taught, oh, that could kill you, you could lose your life and then had that experience again, they were different moments in time. And if, if something happens again, that isn't that exact moment. And, I can, and so from what I mean by that is I can basically look at that and go, well, I don't need to experience those same emotions. I've learned new things. I understand new skills. I've put in new training, new practices. I can actually feel calm in this situation because I know what to do. So then mm-hmm. it was like I was almost self-counselling myself mm-hmm. by allowing a much more powerful version of myself to talk to the other version that was fearful. And by doing that, I would I stop suppressing the scared version of me. And often we hear, like, you know, people talk about when you're afraid, you have that voice that comes up and we have this other voice within ourselves that says, oh, shut up, stop being a wuss, and you, and you power on, right? Well, it was if, if you're constantly in scary and crazy situations, that fearful voice is going to come up a lot. And if you keep dismissing it, it's going to be suppressed in your body somewhere, somehow. So it was more a matter of listening to it and saying, okay, I hear what you're saying and I acknowledge it, but I, I can do this. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it in this way now. This is a new moment in time. And by doing that, that really supported myself in a really strong and empowering way, a lot of self-love there. Yeah. And when you have that uh, in a healthy way, that actually gives you confidence. It, it allows you to believe in yourself. And they're the things that every single person deserves to have. I think that was probably one of the coolest things that I've learned and it's something that's really helped me understand that space. Um, So instead of seeing it for something scary, it was like, okay, what's going on here? What am I hanging on to? Do Mm -hmm. to? Do I need to live that? Like, sure, if a dog's about to attack me, well, I'm feeling fear for a reason and I'll pay attention to that. But often it's normally reasons that we can't achieve something that we want to do or their, their dreams or aspirations that we have that are being limited by those fearful thoughts. And um, when you can look at it from that perspective, it really gives you the opportunity to see it for what it is and, uh, and take on what you really want to do. Cool. Now, I, don't, I, haven't, I wonder if you could sort of describe Jaws to people cause, and, and I wanted to know where did surfing Jaws fit into your timeline or, you know, of your quest to, to master this stuff? Was it at the beginning? Was it, was it the culmination of everything? And, and if you could tell people what that, what that is who don't know what JAWS is, that would be brill. 
Yeah, cool. Well, Jaws is Piahi. It's the, the Hawaiian name for, for this, and it's a big wave location, one of the biggest waves in the entire world. And, uh, and basically it's one of the, the heaviest waves with the amount of uh, water and velocity that it moves in and the way it can just pick things up and destroy it. But it's also a very beautiful wave in a sense of how uh, impressive it is for its size and what it can do and the ability of how people can ride it. So it's located in Maui in Hawaii and it's um, it's considered possibly, you know, the number one or number two uh, best big wave spots there is. And so for me, uh, when I wanted to prove something to myself, there was a, a testing ground for me and, and, and a place to sort of um, allow myself to see, well, if I could do this at that place, that means you've really earned it. So for surfers, I think it was um, it's a proving ground in a way, but it was a place that you can't just go out to and try and prove what's going on. You have to have years of experience and, you know, surfing all the other spots and um, becoming very good at your craft before you sort of head straight out there. And, uh, but that's kind of like one of the Mount Everests of surfing for sure. It's one of, you know, that and another place called Nazare in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of the biggest um, sort of most common known big waves. Brilliant. So, so and when, how did that fit in? And when, when was that on your journey? Well, it, it, was, uh, it was on my journey in a lot of different places. Oh, right. So the first time experiences, um, surfing it, you know, um, the very first time I ever wanted to tow into big waves, I tried to go against what I just told you then and, um, you know, learn all the other spots and work my way up. I sort of wanted to go straight out there <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did that and I, and, I got, um, and I got washed back into the cliff and, and covered in um, cuts and, uh, you know, smashed my toe board to bits. So, um, yeah, it was one of those places that demanded and still does the utmost respect. And for me, there were several moments in my life where, you know, I was. I looked at that as the the pinnacle of what I wanted to do, but it was also the the point of where I kind of knew once I could ride that at a high level, um, that that I was I was ready to sort of deal with um, you know any big wave spot because uh, that was kind of what it did. It sort of allowed you to kind of um, see things and waves for for what it was. I guess what they were, and that one was the ultimate kind of test. But you weren't satisfied with riding it in the daytime. I mean, the, 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 the amazing thing that you then did uh, was surf it at night. How, how did, what's the difference between surfing jaws in the day and surfing jaws at night, apart from obviously visibility, or is that the biggest thing? Uh, that's, that is by far the biggest thing. But for me, um, I wouldn't say that I wasn't satisfied. I would say that I was so uh, insecure in a sense that mm-hmm. I really was demanding the utmost out of myself and I was wanting to prove to myself without a shadow of doubt that I'd overcome my fear of being afraid in the water and I wanted to set a standard for myself that would be so high that I could finally love and accept myself. That was the truth of it. I didn't realise that at the time but what I was really searching for was a high level of self-acceptance and I thought that I'd have to do something as stupid as um, riding that wave at night to prove that point, <laughs> which I later learned that that was probably pretty dumb and uh, I didn't need to go to that length. But um, it was a process and something that happened to me and, uh, and a part that I was just so determined to, to do in a sense of 
wanting to overcome this this emotion and uh, and when I did it it absolutely felt like you know the weight of the world had lifted off my shoulders but it also gave me a lot of clarity into to areas that I was very very narrow-minded in and couldn't see the bigger picture uh, and then from that I really wanted to use that as a an experience to help others understand um, that they can love themselves and respect themselves and um, you know be a normal person without having to do crazy things where you could possibly lose your life. <laughs> Was that the scariest moment of your life so far? That, yeah, it. for sure. Like there's been a few. Um, there's been like, you know, lots of different projects that I've worked on that are really, uh, you know, quite intense moments. But that one in particular was the most. There was four years of planning and preparation for that particular um, project and it was something that it was the one that we talked about earlier when I said to you that there was a project that I really wanted to turn into a reality and that Mm. was the one and it was the highest benchmark in my world to say, well, I'm not just going to like live that dream of seeing, you know, the moon and the stars and ride down this massive mountain of water. I want to actually feel it. I want to see it with my own eyes and I want to follow through. And it was such an out there dream, I guess. And it was something that when I spoke to a lot of the other um, best big wave surfers and and people in the industry about, they all just said, no way, it wasn't possible. (laughs) And um, and that was really hard because that was the one that I'd bitten down so hard on the most and just said, you know, if you've got any courage inside you, if you've got any ability to be all that you want to be, you've, this is what you've got to do. Um, so it was there was so much riding on it for me personally because it was like that was my chance of freedom within myself, uh, so I thought, which was really just another story. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> A, a great experience, though, to um, to share to help others on their path too. Wow! And you said so. You said there's four years of of uh, of training and preparation. How is was that when you discovered your eight the eight steps in your method during that four years, or has it been subsequent to that? Uh, no, for sure. That was that was where you know that was a process that I'd worked on, and and that when I looked back at it, I was like, how did I actually do this? Like what? turn this into reality what were some of the key things that I was working on here that really helped me um, set myself uh, free and put myself in a position to be able to do it so that was that was um, definitely what those uh, those eight steps were for for that book that I wrote because initially when I was asked to do a book I thought I will it kind of just feels like like a vain thing, you know, like I don't want to write a book and say, oh, yeah, I did this. Like I just felt like a, in the surfing terms, you call that a claimer, like someone who's just claiming <laughs> things. And, um, it didn't really, I was like, oh, I don't really want to do that, you know, like because um, it's, so, it's so heavily scrutinised as it is and even doing what I did is possibly considered that as well because people who didn't understand the reason for why, they would have just saw the media and went, oh, you know, this guy's just, just this doing it for attention or who knows what but that's that, there was definitely a perception of that too at the time um but yeah it was kind of like oh well if I ever do something like that if I ever write a book because my intention was uh, I wanted to set an example um and we were very clear about that in our messaging like we had uh, potential brand partners that we could have sponsored with to help um facilitate the whole event from a safety point of view because it's quite expensive 
Uh, but I chose not to go down that avenue because I wanted to keep it clean and I, as in a sense that it wasn't because of some brand that we did it. It was because I, I was a person and I wanted to do, do something and I wanted other people to know they could do it too. So that was really, uh, I guess, what it was all about. And so I, I was, there was something that I wanted to check to sort of ask so I was curious about. So I know that on your journey you trained with so many different people, but one sentence caught my eye and I wondered if you could share more about um, the mental and emotional training with a lady in the forest of Ubud or I don't know if I pronounced it where is Ubud first of all and, and what was that about yeah so that's um that was the lady I mentioned earlier oh it uh, was okay ah yeah. cool yes yeah, so Ubud is um a very spiritual place in Bali in the, in the forest in Bali and it's known to be like a, a place where you know, it's, it vibrates at a certain certain frequency. Um, a lot of people sort of say there's several places in the world that that have a certain frequency about them, and a lot of people in that self awareness space tend to um, you know be attracted to those those sort of areas in the world. And uh, Ubud for sure is is one of those sort of places. But I, I worked with her for many years um, in understanding you know. Um, myself I guess and she was a really great coach in teaching me that and um, you know she's very talented in what she does she works for you know people from the royal family over there in England (laughs) um, you know but right down to hostage negotiators and everyone and I really just wanted to sift through my own crap that I was you know telling myself like whatever stories were coming up and um, I was feeling things and I couldn't explain what I was feeling you know, I was I was starting to tap into another space and none of it was making sense and she was really helping me understand what was going on uh, and, uh, and helping me sort of connect the dots and um, use it to my full potential. It's interesting, isn't it? Because surfing jaws at night, there's a lot of physical demands, but how much of your preparation for that event was physical versus mental because it sounds like there was as much sort of mental preparation as there was physical yeah absolutely I I worked with kinesiologists um, for nearly 20 something years and constantly um, really working in the space of trying to understand the emotional intelligence side of what was going on. You know, things aren't just happening by chance all the time. Like pay attention to this, be aware of that, understand what's going on. So for me, that they were the, that was the game changer, um, really becoming, um, learning how to become in tune with myself. Um, physically, it was an absolute um, must because to operate at a level, you know, where you're riding one of the most elite waves in the world to then being able to, do it at night you're going into a place that's not only physical but it's also senses it's also all that all the other stuff that comes with it so um i was big on that and but i think it was part of the journey i was on Uh, i could tell that for some reason you know like there was a lot there was a lot more going on to, to what i was doing and i was really drawn to it um i guess i'm being pretty vague about what it was but it was feelings of almost um like energy I could feel energy in ways that I'd never wouldn't really be able to explain scientifically other than when I was on the right track certain things would happen to me like I could feel it go all through me and uh and it was it was really really um intense and uh and and that that kind of work opened it up even more to the point where I could use that um in a very um, useful way 
Cool. So I, I wanted to ask, ask you about the, because the, you talk about the sequence in which our bodies shut down because of fear. And I guess that is that part of your method? And, and how does that work? How, how, what is that sort of sequence of events? Yeah, so it's more like our mind-body connection. So the mm-hmm. things that I'm talking about now, um, I learned that when I always think about things, uh, it's a much slower process than when I can feel what is right. So we all know, and every single one of us has this ability, when someone says something and it doesn't feel right and there's a part of us, you know, within our stomach or wherever it might be that we just go I don't know why but that just doesn't feel like the right thing to do even if we have no evidence based on it yet then we try and think about it and rationalize it to to make it right or wrong so the quick answer to things is you can actually feel what's going on much faster Um, and that that was sort of the process of of what I was learning to do and how to understand that and the mind-body connection is based on thoughts so I might have a thought which creates a feeling which gives me an emotion which totally affects how my body functions. So that thought might be fear. So like let's say I'm paddling over a wave and I look up and I see a 60-foot wave coming and I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to kill me. The wave is still 15, 20 seconds away, yet the thought that I've had is I'm going to die, I'm in serious trouble, how could I survive? So that emotion is now of extreme extremity of like, you know, dire straits so then my physical body starts acting that out so that mind body connection was there was a thought now this is i'm feeling it because it's so intense and now i'm actually living it so how i'd be living it would be my breath starts getting really really shallow my heart rate heart rate increases dramatically um you know certain um muscles in my body lock up and tense up so for me as a surfer that needs to be extremely calm underwater, I've now taken that away from myself. I've now increased my heart rate, which is not ideal. I'd want to do the opposite. You know, I've now engaged all my muscles to send blood flow through areas which I'd want to try and relax and keep calm and minimise the oxygen burn. So there's all these things that are happening to me in that moment and it's all based on a thought. That wave still hasn't hit me, killed me yet, nothing's actually happened. So when you learn that there's these moments in time, you can actually stay in control so someone might say well i'd still be totally crapping myself if a 60 foot wave is about to land on me but the question is well what can you do about it right now and if i said well what could you do about it if you you can panic that's one choice or you could do this you could stay calm you could do this you could face this way and if you face this way you could probably get pushed in the channel and you're going to be safe and so you've got you've got you've got options and then and like i'm saying to you what are you going to do what which which one suits you do you want to die or do you want to face the channel? So you're like, okay, well, it feels better to do the other one. So straight away that was a feeling, right? So you're responding yeah. to the feeling. So, so that's what in really crazy high, like high intense moments, if you can learn to shift that and, and control the now, that moment, in that moment, that's how you can control situations that seem uncontrollable. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, I often talk with, with when I coach speakers, I talk about imagined fear because it's not right. happened. Like all our fears, like, yeah. it's like the, the past or the future, in the moment, yeah. in the present, that like there's nothing. And there's this imagined fear. And it's really because I was thinking about this when I was preparing to speak to you, that we have, you know, given that our thoughts do tend to drive these feelings and emotions, I was wondering how useful the word survival instincts were because it's kind of a mis- misnomer really because mm. we bring all of that stuff on ourselves like that yeah. shutting down stuff like you've just said 
through our yep. minds, not not sort of any instinctive. I mean, I guess you breathe. That's like breathing is. But then, if it's affecting your breathing, that's still a problem. That's right. Yeah, and if you're breathing really shallow, that's that's the worst type of breathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So yeah, brilliant. So have you? It doesn't sound to me because what I find with a lot of people and speaking is that fear stops them even starting to speak. You know, you, you're talking about a wave being sixty, yeah, you know, a few uh, sort of coming at you, but people don't even, you know, begin because of that imagined fear for the future or whatever. Yeah. Have you ever shied away from a challenge um, at all? It doesn't sound like it, but if, have you got some tips around managing that future-based fear that you could share with yeah, the absolutely. audience? Yeah, absolutely. I think I personally, um, as a speaker, I remember the very first time I was a keynote speaker, I literally nearly blacked out because <laughs> no. I was speaking so fast and I was so nervous and when I looked up and everyone was looking at me, it was so overwhelming and I was like, you know, like I literally forgot to breathe and um, and I remember just thinking how, how funny it was. But um, in those moments, like what I love to do and what helps me understand it is I look at it for what it is. So I will say to myself, okay, you know, I'm a speaker next week, you know, and I'm at this event and there's a thousand people at the event. What am I afraid of? And then straight away, well, it's the fear of failure, right? So it's the fear of, well, what if I suck? What if I, what if I, what I say isn't good enough and I can't deliver it properly and people don't think I'm cool? So then you look at it, oh, okay, so who are those people? Like I just always like to break things down and look at it for what it is. And then I'm like, okay, well, why would I want to speak in the first place? You know, so then, then I go back to the purpose of what that actually is. So everyone that's wanting to speak is like, well, you know what, I've got a great message and I want to share that. You know, I want to help people. Oh, awesome. Well, that's way better than yourself and feeling like you're, you're unworthy and everyone thinking you suck. So, so you come from that place, right? When you're coming from the right place, it changes how you feel. So that, that's a quick, a quick way to, to sort of snap back into it. There's a lot more detail in that. Um, so to change something like that, you need to change the physiology of your body, the setup that you have. So when you're fearing something, you actually then have the thought which changes, you know, the feeling that you have, which affects your physical setup. So that I, I go back to that. So I almost reverse engineer what's happening. So if I was afraid and you took a photo of me when I was afraid, I could almost guarantee what my posture looked like. I could guarantee what I was breathing like and I could guarantee um, you know, what my heart rate was like and it would be, I'd be hunched over, my muscles would be tense, I'd be breathing shallow and, I, you know, I'd be feeling in that kind of really down and fearful state. So I, I'd be asking myself, well, what do I feel like when I feel great? What do I feel like if I knew I was helping everyone in that audience and I, that message that we said, you know, that person might have? And then you'd feel enlightened, you'd feel lifted, right? So then you go, how do you think you'd be breathing? So it's the same thing. I'd be going into that and I'd be, okay, let's, can I control that right now? Yes, I can. can and I go, I, you know, and this is something I always say, you know, can I, can I control if my speech is going to suck? Well, I still can't control that. <laughs> so I can't be afraid of that. But in this moment right now, I can control what my body posture looks like. I can stand up and I can focus on just breathing in a calm way to just help myself feel calm. So I keep going back to those moments and that's really the start point or the starting point for that. I teach a lot of people um, all sorts of different breath techniques and that's sort of my background because um, I go through the physical side of it to bring back, to change the emotion. So just like when we have a thought, we feel a certain way and it affects our body, I, I also go to the part where I'll change it 
your body that changes the thoughts that you have, which changes how you feel. So, like, you can do it either way. Mm. Um, so that's, that's probably a really important tip is just be aware of what's going on with yourself physically and, uh, and you know, do some homework on how to allow yourself to feel calm. And how does speaking fit into your sort of life and business, sort of career and business today? Um, I do, like, I do probably about 14 to 16 um, keynotes a year. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really busy with the other stuff that I do, but I love sharing. Um, I love, you know, I do stuff for a lot of big um, corporate groups and companies and I love um, helping people and I love them to see an example of something that might not be what they thought it would be. You know, when people look at uh, a situation and they think it might be a certain way, I like sharing a new perspective. Like, did you ever think it could be like this? Have you ever looked at it from that perspective? Um, yeah, I just really like to, to – my favourite thing is to know that I've helped someone make a shift in their own life. So um, that's really, really rewarding. And, um, yeah, I, I still definitely love to do that. And um, if it fits in with my schedule, I'll, I'll always try and make it happen. Brilliant. Now, you've got, you've got a book, The Big Wave Method, and you've also got courses that will – help people overcome fear. And I know I was looking at, you know, some of your stuff that you've done. You've had people that, you know, they don't look particularly fit, to be fair, but like swimming two lengths of a pool underwater where they probably couldn't do like a couple of feet, you know, to start off with. So I wondered if you could share a bit more about the book and about about what you, you know, do and how you can help people. Yeah. Well, the book is created by Hay House. So um, Hay House is probably one of the, I think it's the leading inspirational self-help publishing uh, book in in the world. Um, So to sort of do a book with them was the right fit. Um, Like I said said earlier, I kind of, if I was going to do one, I wanted to do it to help people. And so the style of that book is really to help people grasp having a concept and how to put it into reality. The courses that I do, um, so the the people that don't look so fit are possibly the corporate groups. Um, so you know, but it's it's fantastic because in those events and some of these companies might be you know extremely big tech companies and some of the biggest names in the world do these kind of programs because it helps them understand the process of what's going on and I, we give them a real life example of that. So they're two-day courses um, in LA or they're in Fiji on a private island. We do them in different locations around the world, but it's really to take people out of their comfort zone. Uh, It's more of a team-building exercise on that level and it's just something that can kind of um, take them to a place that they wouldn't have chosen to go to, but they then uh, can use that in their everyday life. And, And the feedback from those events are you know, just that, you know, at the start we'll have people saying, you know, we run this billion-dollar company, we don't need to be stuffing around in a swimming pool, this is stupid. And, um, you know, afterwards, like, this is the best thing we've ever done. We've never <laughs> been able to see these things, you know, and, and I'll even have people that start say, yeah, yeah, I'm here to do your course but I'm not getting in the pool or I'm not, I don't want to get wet. And I, and I just say, okay, it's up to you because there's different versions of it. But at the end, everyone ends up um, doing it and they all say, you know, still to this day, oh, that's the best fun we've ever done. So it's pretty cool hearing that feedback. And then um, obviously we uh, want to make that an online product for everyone to access because the in-person experience is uh, quite expensive because we send our entire team to 
various locations uh, around the world, but we wanted to make something that everyone could access, you know, like a $40 product or something like that where people can understand the things that we're talking about, that mind-body connection, the process of how we, we go through these experiences and, and how we deal with them on a daily basis. Some real useful um, daily practices, some of the breathing techniques, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I've really become addicted to just wanting to share and, uh, and really help people on a, on a level bigger than uh, just surfing because it sort of started for me, I was asked to help the SAS in underwater operations from the training that I'd developed and I, I worked with those groups for like six years and it was all confidential and I couldn't really talk about it and then I thought I, I want to help more people than just these elite groups um, and then I thought oh well I can help surfers because I can this is water and I can change it to that and then then when I was asked by you know select corporate groups could I work with their top level executives I changed the model again how can we relate this to their everyday life to their business world and then that's when I thought well how can I help more people than just you know these groups and, and that's sort of the goal going forward is to be able to really open that platform up to share these um, these concepts and these ideas and uh, if they feel right for people then you know that's awesome and, and I and I know it's something that really helped them in their, in their space. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to come circle back to how people can get hold of that and where they can find out more about you in a second. And I thank you so much for, for everything you shared. Now, I do have a couple of standard questions, if that's all right, yeah. which I ask everyone. Yeah. Hopefully they're not too, new, too challenging. Um, so obviously this is the speaking club and we've talked a little bit about you speaking. What, what is the best thing speaking has done for you? Um, self-confidence I think just the ability to know that you know everyone has a story everyone has a perspective that other people don't know and you can share that with people and um, by not sharing with it you're not helping anyone else so be okay with that be okay with stepping up and going through that awkward motion or going through the slightly uncomfortableness of the unknown and remind yourself that your perspective you know perspective of something could change someone's life and that's a really cool thing that's brilliant i would just i was uh, this is a note to anyone listening this man has surfed this massive wave at night and he says speaking was hard for him and it gave him confidence so if, if you're feeling like that it's you are completely fine make sure you carry on and do it because you know you should <laughs> right and have you had like a worst speaking gig is there one that's like oh my god oh, that was terrible but sort of sticks yeah. in your mind. Yeah, well, I think obviously the, the one of the first ones where I literally nearly blacked out because I was so nervous and so scared that I was speaking so fast and I literally forgot to breathe in between. <laughs> and I remember just looking up and going, whoa, I feel like I'm actually going to drop backwards. But um, I, I've had um, an event that was done at like 7 in the morning in Canberra, which was where our um, capital of all the politicians and our parliament house is. And I remember thinking, man, this is a tough crowd. Like it, my my keynote in particular is really fun and really engaging. And there's, you know, throughout all the different ones I've done, I sit, like there's certain parts where I know like, you know, the entire audience is laughing. And um, I remember being in this environment with these guys at seven in the morning and it was just like there were certain parts that I was going through and I'm just getting no feedback, just like, there was zero excitement. And then um, the good thing was I, like at that point, I was just like, wow, tough crowd. But um, I had a group interaction section in there 
And, uh, and once I got them involved, um, it sort of flipped around really quick and I was able to sort of win them over. But I remember at that point just going, you know, what am I, what am I doing here? These, these people are not interested at all, you know, and it was such a cold, stale environment that, um, yeah, I was definitely probably just thinking, hmm, this is going to, I wonder how this is going to end up. <laughs> And so to your your talks have a lot of stories and humor in and and, and, and interaction yeah that, yeah that's right a lot of a lot of that sort of stuff a lot of um really cool audio visual stuff um and group interaction so with the audience we do something to take them on a bit of an experience it's quite short but that always uh, sort of helps them come on this journey you know that we're, that we're talking about and it's it's sort of really fun to do it that way um, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's not, um, bullet points and serious. It's, you know, it's, it, it tells the message in a way that, um, can allow anyone to experience that the moments and take the key sort of, um, parts home from it, I suppose. That's brilliant. Okay. So what is the best book you've ever read and why? Hmm. Uh, the best book. Well, it changed. <laughs> I really, I really, I, I mean, this is just the truth and I'm someone that always says it how it is, but I loved the Lance Armstrong book when I read it and then when I found out he'd lied about everything, I, it was like, oh, I just, it, just flipped, it just flipped on me. So um, but one of his books, you know, it was, it was, that was honestly the, the, the book at the time when I'd read that was one of, his, one of Lance Armstrong's ones and um, I remember thinking that was the coolest thing and I was so inspired by it, but um you know, when everything changed and all the, the truths came out on it, uh, it was hard to feel the same way. Mm. But that's that was at the time something that was um, possibly the coolest thing that I'd read at the time. <laughs> and what about the one that's re- been replaced? What's replaced it? Well, I'm, I'm uh, well, I would say there's a fair few that I really kind of like, um, but there's, there's one in particular that's very odd and it, it's not odd but it's hard to grasp and you have to read it several times to understand and it's called God I Am mm. and it talks about um, how everything is connected as one and um, it's it's a book that is like you could read it 10 times and every time you have a different understanding of what it is because you've gone through different experiences in your life. It's probably the deepest kind of book I've ever read. Uh, and it's one that, like, I think, oh, I wonder if I read that in two years' time, my, you know, my perception will be different again. Cool. So I'd say, yeah, it's cool. God, I am. And it's something that um, if, you, if you are into that kind of stuff, it's, it's definitely a really good read. Yeah, I'll take a look at that for sure. Cool. Thank you. Uh, what's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why? Best business advice would be um, nothing's given, nothing's granted. You know, you've got to just put in the work if you want something you've got to actually get off your ass and go and do it because it's never going to be handed to you <laughs> you don't sound like a guy from what i've heard that is shy of uh, putting in the effort so <laughs> that's cool and and last question then if you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead fictional or non-fictional who would you choose and why I choose Michael Jordan um, because growing up, I was so inspired by his work ethic. Um, I just thought that the way he put in the extra work, even when he was on top of things, was exceptional. And uh, I was so inspired by that. I remember 
growing up too and asking mum if my mother if I would be as tall as Michael Jordan and she told me I wasn't and I was so pissed off that I just felt like my life was I'd just been ripped off but <laughs> uh, I remember just growing up thinking he's he was a guy that understood things from a really um, you know a different place that other people couldn't see it from and his ability to want to keep pushing when uh, he'd already achieved so much was was so inspiring and I think he he'd have some um, some great insights for sure absolutely I think there's one thing I've heard about him that always stuck with me was that he always practiced the fundamentals. He never, never sort of took for granted the basics that allowed him to be great, and in that, and that was that was set him apart from a lot of the others, basically. Yeah, his work, his work ethic for sure. Yeah, cool, brilliant, Mark. Thank you so much um, for everything you shared. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show. Um, I think what you've done is astounding, and. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. So how can people or where can people go to find out more about the courses, about you, uh, to work with you? Um, good question. Uh, so I have a website, which is uh, markvisa.net, but the courses that we run are through a program called theoceanwarrior.com. Cool. And uh, there's all sorts of um links and um, programs and stuff like that in there. Um, but, yeah, like the, the website has links to those same things too. Um, yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. the best way. And are you on social media at all? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook and I think the page is, is Mark this or something. It, it, there's a picture of a guy underwater. That's the <laughs> <Right>. one. <laughs> cool. I'll put a link, I'll put a link <laughs> yeah, in the show page as well, yep. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you have. Best of luck with everything that you're doing. And I'm sure you're going to be changing lots of lives with all of this stuff. And uh, yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Wasn't that fab? Mark is such a down to earth guy. Really liked him a lot. And the journey he went on was just amazing. So we've also um, put some footage in the Speaking Club Facebook group of him surfing Jaws at night and it's breathtaking. So go and check that out. If you're not already a member of the Facebook group, the Speaking Club Facebook group, then just head on over, do a search for the Speaking Club Facebook group or click the link in the show notes. Just answer three simple questions about your speaking and you'll be in. I hope you got lots out of this episode and that it helps you move forward on your own quest, whatever that is. Go and check out Mark's stuff and say hi to him on Facebook. And thank you so much for joining me as ever. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do, as we've got more great guests and solo shows coming up. And if you enjoy The Speaking Club, then also do me a big favour and leave a rating or review at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. I really appreciate it. And I think it just takes a couple of minutes. I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, stay positive. Stay in charge of your thinking. That's the most important thing. Don't become a victim to imagined fear. And then make sure you go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. 
Each week, we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.